let's listen to this portion of God's word. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as a fragrant, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Um, I just wanted to fill you in on a couple of things that have been happening with me. Um, in December, I had uh, a routine physical. So I went in and uh, uh, did a few typical physical tests. And uh, my doctor said to me, um, did you walk in here today? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you feel faint or weak? nauseous or like you're going to fall down any second? And I said, no, I feel great. And he said, well, you are in AFib, so you need to go down to the cardiac ward immediately. And I said, okay. So 
went down to the cardiac ward and, and went immediately uh, to the hospital for what they call a cardioversion, where they put some plates in the front and the back, and they, you know, they electrify your heart to get it uh, going. Basically, the top two ventricles were not working. And that didn't work, and so I went on some medications and went back a week later, did the same procedure, and it worked. And I've been feeling really good since then and uh, felt like we were done. But then I had a follow-up visit with a second cardiologist, and he told me that because of my age, because I'm fairly young, um, I need to do another procedure because the medications that I'm on are so toxic that uh, you know it would do your kidneys or your liver in, in, in the course of around a decade. So on Monday, I did what is called a cardiac ablation procedure, and that was successful. And in fact, uh, when I woke up, I, I felt great, um, better than I felt in years. So uh, I, I didn't anticipate that I would be up for preaching today, so I invited my good friend Nick Nye to cover for me today, but I actually feel really good, so I could have done it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, I know I had uh, the prayer team and a lot of other folks here praying for me, and I, I do appreciate that. Even my wife has said, my gosh, you know, I'm, you have so much color in your face now, you know, and I, I've always been such a white guy, you know, but now I, I, I'm, uh, I'm looking more plush, I guess, so that's good. But all that to say, I'm so excited that my, my good friend Nick Nye is here, and he is uh, the pastor at Apostles, uh, and uh, Nick and I have become very good friends since he started there, and uh, one of the things that we've been trying to do, I have this philosophy about collaboration, and so I've been networking with a lot of the local pastors and trying to, to figure out ways that we could do things together and more effectively and to support one another and to pray with one another, and, and Nick's one of these guys that is really into that as well, and so we've become fast friends, and we've done quite a few things together, and so it's my privilege uh, to invite Nick to come up and uh, lead us into the next installment of this uh, who Am I uh, series that we've been doing. Nick, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. I mean, if you be up for preaching, you can take it. Um, I wouldn't be offended. Um, I am also really grateful. I'm grateful to be here, but I'm also really grateful for Pastor James and friendship. And um, it's always good to have pastor friends in, in the um, city that you can count on, and I'm just really grateful that, that I can have that friendship. Um, and I'm really thankful for this church. Um, last time I got to preach here, I just went home and told my wife, man, I really love that church. It's just, there's just a, a friendliness and a joy, and I love um, just the great conversations I had um, afterwards. And so I'm just, I'm really thrilled to be back here. So I grew up in a uh, very small city in Ohio, and in that city, uh, racism was um, all over the city. There's a lot of tension with, with race in the city, and in the early 80s, my parents decided to adopt a um, little biracial boy and, uh, when he was a baby. And, uh, and so in my city, I constantly heard a lot of, of questions. My brother and I grew up um, always fighting and 
um, not each other, but uh, fighting um, in our city because my brother was biracial. And we, we experienced a lot of racism. And so uh, one of the things, though, about him is that they would constantly, um, when we would explain that we're brothers, they would look at him, and then they would look at me, and they would have some confusion, and they would ask the question, well, is he your real brother? Is he your real brother? So when someone asks a question like this, I understand what they mean, sort of, right? I mean, uh, I understand that they're asking, is he your flesh and blood brother? And I'd always answer, yes, he is my real brother, explaining lovingly, right, that he was adopted. Uh, but, but deep inside, I always had a hard time kind of answering this question um, because I knew what they meant, but I also had a slew of other reasons that I would say, yes, he is my real brother. I mean, we have the same last name. We call Bob and Debbie mom and dad. Uh, we, we went on vacation together. We lived in rooms right next to each other. Um, so why should I hesitate to explain that, yes, we are real brothers? See, many of us approach the scripture, especially Ephesians, with that same hesitancy. Well, we'd say, we aren't really sons and daughters of God. That's just a weird thought, right? It's a weird picture to imagine us being actual sons and daughters of God. That's a weird thought. It's not like blood. I mean, after all, blood is thicker than water, right? We, there's, 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 a, there's sort of an elevation of that physical nature of being a son or daughter. Now, I imagine there's many of you here who don't really believe that you are a real child of God. You don't really believe that you are an actual son or daughter. After reading Ephesians 1 or Ephesians 5, our chapter for today, or Romans chapter 8 or Galatians chapter 4, or the dozens of other passages throughout a scripture on adoption, it still doesn't sink in that you are a real child of God. Or maybe some of you just don't know. You think you are a Christian because you grew up around Christians, but you don't really know anymore. Maybe you're here wondering, am I that real child of God? Where do I stand before God? How does he see me? What does he look at when he sees me? So when Paul claims in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, that we have been given the spirit of adoption as sons. This particular doctrine, this particular theology is one that our culture needs to hear louder and louder and louder as a church. We need to communicate this. We need to speak about this. We need to know this. Because this particular doctrine sets Christianity apart from all other religions. It sets it apart from everything that's out there that God can actually be your father, that God is your father, not just master and Lord, a powerful deity ruling every part of your life, a, a rule supplier, somebody who's just giving you the rules to keep you in line, but our loving and gracious father. Now see, to be a creator... Be a creator of something is one thing. 
to be a father is another. Do you, do you sense a difference in that? When I was in high school, um, I invented a product that I was sure would revolutionize the nocturnal home production industry. See, I had invented the glow-in-the-dark toilet seat. Think about that. Hasn't quite caught on, but I remember we were commissioned in a science class or something to make an invention, create an invention, and that was my invention, and I felt like such a genius. And of course, I didn't carry around my glow-in-the-dark toilet seat around. I didn't carry it and um, show it off. I didn't take it out for coffee or hug it. I was proud of it. I was extremely proud to show it off, but being a creator is different. There's a different relationship there. But to be a father, something different. I could also say in some way I played some part in creating my four children. My wife, of course, did everything. Um, I don't even want to take any credit for that, but my wife did everything. But biologically, we created four kids. I snuggle with them. I read them books. We sit around the table for meals every day. I spend time with them, um, and, and I even discipline them so that they can grow up to become healthy, mature, wise adults. So to be a creator is one thing. To be a father is a whole different thing. Now, look at our passage. And I want to peek back. I'm gonna, I want to peek back to Ephesians 1, Romans chapter 8 specifically to really hone in on the theme of adoption. There's a lot in this chapter, a ton in this chapter that we can answer when we look at um, the who am I question in this series. There's a lot to look in this. But I want to look at the root, being children of God. There's that, that's the root here in all of this. The Bible speaks a lot about God's relationship to us. It tells us that we aren't slaves, but we are children, um, his kids. It even tells us about our relationship to God as Abba, Father, our Papa. It even answers the huge question that I hear regularly, which is how do you know? How do you know that you are a Christian? How do we know that we are a Christian? That, is, that it's real, that I'm his. So Ephesians 5 gives us many calls to walk in love, to be imitators of God, to not name sexual immorality or impurity, to watch your tongue and speech. There's all these behavior things that they are writing to us and telling us there needs to be thought of, there needs to be wisdom in, there needs to be change and transformation in. All of these uh, asks of the church, these commands of the church um, are, are really good, but often the church is guilty of just highlighting the commands without actually looking at the root, without, without actually looking at the why. We are really good at saying, hey, you gotta change. You can't do this. You can do this. You can't run from this. You can't. We got, we're rule followers. But underneath all of that behavior, there is something. The, the, the writer of Ephesians wants us to get under the hood to see the motivation. It's not just flee these things, refrain from these things, stay away. He's telling us why we must walk in love. Because we are children of God. We are adopted. We are sons, not slaves. Romans 8, 14 
through 15 we read, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into slavery, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now let's stop there. There's a dichotomy going on. Sons of God versus slaves. Or the spirit of God means you are a son of God. The spirit of slavery means you are a slave to fear. Now, many, many years ago, I used to uh, work as a maintenance man. Um, I, I did lots of maintenance in apartments like a, like a uh, that's, what, that's what they call a super in the Midwest. Um, but I had a boss who was extremely driven um, to the point I felt like he was crazy. But I got the job because I was friends with his son. And his son was somebody who worked for, uh, worked for him but also was set to take over the company. Um, it was a massive com- company in Kentucky where I lived and was going to seminary. And um, he would take over the business. Now, my boss, I said, was driven. And he, his drivenness came with an occasional chewing out. I mean, I can remember multiple times getting chewed out, cussed out for doing something wrong. Everyone I worked with uh, feared the man. He was known to fire people, uh, but at, at the least cuss you out and for little stuff. So everybody kind of felt like they were walking on eggshells, lots of yes sirs, and um, just real careful. But what's funny is that my friend, his son, he uh, got chewed out just as much as anybody else. He got chewed out all the time, but there was a huge difference in his demeanor between us, the workers, and him. When he got chewed out, he, whatever, you know, just blew it off, not a big deal. He wasn't working out of fear. When we got chewed out, I'm sweating, right? I'm just, I'm shaking like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my job. I need this job. I got, I got to care for my family. He wasn't working out of fear of losing his job. We were. He had confidence, a confidence that none of us could have. We could be fired and forgot about the next day. He couldn't. He was set to take over the whole business. His son knew that he would take over everything, that he uh, would inherit everything. And so he worked with a vested interest. He took the chewing out, but he worked hard. Worked the confidence, a deeper sense of responsibility than the rest of us. Do you see... Many of us serve God as slaves, not as sons and daughters. We serve God out of fear. Our hearts gripped by this sense that God's going to fire us at any minute, that God's going to just let us go. He's going to chew us out. We're done for. You think he's going to ditch you at any moment if you screw up, like he's punishing you. Maybe you feel that right now. Maybe you're here, you feel that tension of, man, I, I, I'm going to get in big trouble for this one thing. Maybe, maybe you've distanced yourself. Or maybe you feel like God's distanced himself from you. And he's making your life hard and he's making it miserable. But do you see that being in Christ means that God is actually drawing near? You're not his slave of fear, but you are a ch- child. This is the motivation. This is the why 
why we put away sexual immorality, why we put away impurity or covetousness, why we walk in the light. We're not just walking in the light out of fear, but we're walking as children. If we can't embrace our adoptedness, our morality, our ethics, our choices, they will root themselves in religious duty and a religious system. They're going to root themselves in a place that's not where God is. But the letter to Ephesus is saying, no, no, no. Don't root yourself in a religious system and behavior modification. Root yourself in your adoptedness, in your position that you have before God. So if we stand there, if we stand in that rootedness, if we stand as adopted sons and daughters and we look up and see God, if we are to be beloved children, we have to understand who God is, our posture before him. Who is God in light of this? At the end of our passage, we're called to be filled with the Spirit. And again, look at Romans 8. That helps us understand what this means. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But, every time there's a, a but in the scripture like this, really pay attention. It's, it's, you got to pay attention. Here it is. But... You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Do do you see the connects here? From Ephesians 5, Romans 8, do you see the connection? Part of being filled with the spirit is your relationship with our Abba, Father. Now, I admit there have been many times I've been in prayer meetings And someone starts their prayer by saying, Daddy, Papa. And I just feel weird about that. It just feels kind of irreverent or silly. But digging deeper into what the scriptures are really saying about calling God Daddy, we see that this isn't a cute and cuddly saying. Right? When we hear the words Abba, Father, when we see that, when we know who God is, it's not the cute and cuddly kind of thing where uh, we're looking up at at a dad like like he's a pet name for God, but it's actually a desperate war cry. One of my mentors and seminary professors, Russell Moore, he described Jesus' cry when he calls God Abba. He describes that cry like this. It's less the sound of a baby giggling up at his father's face and more the sound of a screaming child yelling daddy as his face is being ripped apart by a rabid bulldog. Have you thought about it like that? If you have a Christian background, maybe the picture you have of God or of Jesus is sort of the very Western, modern sort of pictures. It's come from the spa, feathered hair, blonde, of course, very clean, very pretty, white, of course, leaning on a rock, sunbeam going down on him. We kind of have that picture of God as just so chill. His head is cocked perfectly to heaven, right? Just that kind of thing. We have these goofy pictures in our minds of, of who Jesus is um, or who God is, but Really, this picture, when, 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 we, when we remember Jesus crying out in the Garden of Gethsemane to his Abba, Father, that picture, we are imagining a Christ whose blood is 
pumping through his veins, who's awaiting the cross, who is sweating blood. What, what all of this means is he's crying out, begging God. He is yelling for him because God is that father of protection. He is that one who is coming to care. Our cry to Abba Father as children, our cry is when we are in the places of battle. Desperate, desperate, not coasting in life. It's not just a coasting, calm, Abba, Father. It's when we're in the desperate places of life that we can scream out to God in this way. Maybe, maybe you're there. Maybe you're at that point where you're just completely desperate. You're in the pit and you just need to cry out, Daddy, this is not the best life you have for me now. Deliver me. Change me. Bring life to me, my family. Bring life to my church. Deliver me from the sexual immorality that is ripping my flesh apart, that is ripping my family apart. This isn't fulfilling me. Help me to flee drunkenness because it's not really taking the pain away. Who do you call upon when you're just overwhelmed with life, filled with anxiety? Who do you yell for when life splits apart and the seams come undone? Now, I know we are independent. We're fierce. We're special. I know these things. We, we can do it ourselves, we feel like. We don't need God. But what if, what if you did have someone to fill you with fire, hope, passion, grit, to make it through these life's grenades? What if you had someone there when you felt trapped or stuck? That's why he says, be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit comes alongside us as a helper, comes alongside to fill us all the way to the top, to fill us to feel our adoptedness, the Spirit of adoption. But I want to turn the question a bit to hope, hopefully so it lands on, our, on us a little bit uh, more personally. How do we know that we are adopted? How do we know that we stand in that adoptedness? We often look for this internal peace in us, right? All the Christians of the world should carry with them this deep internal peace that they can basically just float through life without letting all of the pain and the troubles of the world bother them, right? That's kind of how we think, oh, they are true Christians. But our experience often tells us the opposite. And again, if, let's parallel Ephesians 5 with Romans 8. Ephesians 5 says, be filled with the Spirit, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we read in Romans 8, verse 22 and 23, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, we eagerly, we eagerly long 
for the revealing of the Son of God, sons of God. We're waiting for something. We're in this world and we are getting beat up and we are toiling and we are struggling and there is sexual morality and there's drunkenness and there's pains and these temptations and they're taking us down all of these roads. And those things create in us a longing and eager anticipation. It's like a child strapped into a clunky car seat on an airplane. We must sit and we must cry even when we are about to go visit grandma at the beach. It it is when we get to this point with no energy left, when we feel like the toils of this world are crushing us, that we cry out, Daddy, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm broken, I'm tired, I'm worn out. That we recognize that we need the, the crucified Jesus who suffered alongside us, shed his blood for us, so that we groan with this universe to find peace. We groan to find the true rest. So if you're a Christian waiting for this blissful peace to tell you that you are a Christian, you'll be looking for a long time. Not that there aren't moments of peace, but most of us are going to toil and toil and toil. And of course, the writer of Ephesians, he knows that. They know that you will be in this constant state of toiling until adoption, reunion finally comes. I mean, if, you're, if your finger is in Romans 8, notice these words. Maybe highlight them or just take a mental note. There's a past tense of our adoption. We received a present tense We are in a future tense. If children, then heirs of adoption. See the tension that we're living in all at once? That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to live in this tension. And notice what verses have come before that in, in Romans 8. Verse 12 and 13. So then, brothers... Brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's a connection. So the reason Christians should put away the deeds of the body, put away sexual immorality, are because they are led by the Spirit of God, filled up by the Spirit, and are children of God. Being saved means there will be change in our behavior. But we must be careful not to reverse it. Change of behavior doesn't equal being saved. There's a difference between being slaves and being sons, being daughters, being a slave and being a child. Just the word adoption shows us that we are not children of God by nature. Adoption takes legal action, doesn't it? To say everyone is a child of God is not what it means to be adopted. But what we see is because Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, we now have a judge who sits on our side, a judge who always wins, who calls us his own. So because of our gracious judge, we now legally belong to our Father. We are his. Now, though we experience the suffering and we walk in this pain and we walk in the troubles of this world, we're going to still feel like orphans. Do you feel like an orphan? Maybe you feel that orphan nature right now. 
yet we're people, a family that walks by faith. We walk by faith. Really, though, we have a hard time getting what this means, don't we? We have a hard time because we, we never get groaning too deep for words. We don't understand that in our prayers because we are numb um, often. When the tension comes in our world, we'll find ways to numb it. We got life together. We got a college degree, a nice job. Maybe we live in the greatest city in the world. We have all this thing. And again, my, my friend Russell Moore wrote this book, Adopted for Life, he tells this powerful story of when he was finally able to adopt, pick up his boys from an international orphanage. They had been hoping to adopt there for a really long time. And so they went to visit this adoption center, and the place where these boys lived was dark, it was cold, and it was eerily quiet. And he comments over and over again that the, the strangest thing was that all these babies were in here and it was, it was deathly quiet. No one had ever held these kids. None of the kids ever cried because they knew that no one would ever answer their cries. The children had never seen daylight. They slept in their own spit up and excrement, occasionally being changed, cleaned up, for potential adoptions. Now, when all the paperwork was finished, everything was legal. These two boys had a mom and a dad. And as they pick up these boys to go to their new home, away from this orphanage, the boys came out of the orphanage just blinded by the sunshine and utterly freaked out by the breeze upon their faces as they left the orphanage. So they cried and they screamed as they got into the car. And more, the author, recalls the boys, barely children, they're reaching back in their car seats for the orphanage as they desperately want to go back, as they long for the dark, the inside, the quiet. And in that moment, he says to them, as their father, their father says to them, the, that place is a pit. If you only knew what's awaiting for you, a home with a mommy and a daddy who love you, grandparents and great-grandparents and cousins and playmates, and on and on he goes. Verse 17 in Romans 8 reminds us, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are so much like these boys. We're like the Israelite slaves Moses led out into the wilderness awaiting paradise, like in Exodus. We complain, we cry, we want to stick with the old life because that's all we knew. Most of us struggle to get this because we don't come, this, this idea of inheritance that the, the, the life God is, is providing is coming. We don't get that because we don't, maybe we don't have rich parents who are passing down great wealth or a successful business or um, that kind of thing. We're not inheriting much. And so we don't get this. But if you're orphaned and there was, there was supposed to be an inheritance coming, but you're orphaned and you don't have it, you had no inheritance. That meant you were set up to be a slave. But we suffer with Christ, who is the heir of all that the Father has. And because we suffer with him, we groan in this life we have now. We struggle through. We toil through. We flee sexual morality. We, we, we put aside drunkenness because what is to come is far greater. It's an inheritance that we have. So I want to conclude with yet another passage that connects with our adopted 
our adoption. In John chapter 17, verse 23, Jesus prays for us, his people saying, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you see the wild statement that Jesus is making? He's saying that his father loves you with the same love that he loves his only begotten son. What is keeping you from experiencing the father's love? Not just knowing about the father's love, but taking it for yourself. Do you know that Jesus went to the cross? He died and he was buried so that he could take the sins of the world upon himself. And that three days later, he rose from the dead so that he could give you all of his inheritance. So he could give you new life here and now so that he could give you everything that is to come. This is the good news. That's why it's called good news. The gospel that you're invited into. If you don't know God, I want to invite you to start that journey by believing in Jesus Christ and confessing your need for him. You can call upon him, Abba, Father, your Father, and make it personal. You can call upon him and tell him, I want you, Lord, to be my Father, and I want to walk in that. Would you pray with me? Lord, we confess and admit that we struggle to know what it means to have you as our Father. Many of us have had broken, shameful parents that have just painted for us a difficult picture. Many of us have struggled to even know what it means to be a dad or a mom to our own children. Lord, you have given us this new picture. And so I pray for those who feel that sexual immorality, that feel that drunkenness, who feel those behavioral changes and turmoil, the things that are going on in their life. I pray, God, that they may find themselves rooted in their adoptedness as children of God. For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Nick.